Welcome to the Ultradent Products Podcast. We're still here at the ADA with Dr. Van Haywood, who continues his discussion on whitening treatments. In the continuation of our discussion, Dr. Haywood will talk about bleaching sensitivity, compare carbamide peroxide and hydrogen peroxide. He'll also touch on bleaching lights and bleaching tetracycline stains. Be sure to check out Dr. Haywood's website at www.vanhaywood.com where you can view many of the articles that he discussed today. Now, I've read an entire article that you did on bleaching sensitivity. Um, Can you tell us what the theories are behind what causes sensitivity and ways that you can combat it or treat it? Sure. Uh, That's the area we're doing a lot of work in and have been for the last four or five years because that's really the only problem with bleaching is dealing with patient sensitivity. Everything else is manageable, works out good, no long-term effects, everything's safe. But if they have a history of sensitive teeth or if if they apply it multiple times during the day, they tend to get more tooth sensitivity. We think that sensitivity is just a reversible pulpitis from the insult of the of the peroxide going all the way through the enamel, all the way through the dentin to the pulp. And it it varies from patient to patient. It's really not as much product-specific as it is patient-specific. Some people just have sensitive teeth. So the number one thing to find out on their health history is do you have a history of sensitive teeth? Do you drink tea through a straw? Can you bite ice cream? You know, things like that. And most people know that their teeth are sensitive or not, and those you're going to expect a greater incidence of sensitivity. Well, the two ways that people typically deal with sensitivity, one is with fluoride, and and then the other one is potassium nitrate. Potassium nitrate is the only ingredient approved by the Food and Drug Administration in the United States for sensitive teeth. And it's what's contained in all the desensitizing toothpaste on the market. No other used to they had things like strontium chloride and different products like that, but now every desensitizing toothpaste only has potassium nitrate. The maximum concentration is 5%. Potassium nitrate also goes all the way through the enamel, all the way through the dentin, and to the pulp, and it has basically a calming effect on the nerve. It's almost like putting a topical anesthetic on the nerve. It keeps it from repolarizing. So you have fluoride, which is often used for sensitivity, is a tubular blocker and it slows down the passage of peroxide, but because the peroxide is so small, it's gonna go through interstitial spaces, even if you block the dental tubules. Potassium nitrate hits the nerve and deals with it and keeps it reduces the excitability on that. So I think potassium nitrate right now is the best treatment for sensitivity. So what you wanna have is Number one, you'd like to have a product that has potassium nitrate and fluoride in it for both of those reasons. And early on, people were concerned that uh, fluoride would inhibit the rate of uh, bleaching, but that's been disproved in 91 and and subsequently came out this month in another article showing that that didn't hurt anything in there. So having the fluoride is helpful, but more importantly is having the potassium nitrate. That was also proven in 91 that it won't slow down the rate of bleaching. So you have a, I I like for sensitive people, I like to have a low concentration of product. And so I typically use 10% carbon peroxide because 95% of the world's research is on that product and we know plenty of things about safety and efficacy. Then I like to have fluoride and potassium nitrate in the product because that's going to help mediate some of the problems with just the way the tray fits, the way the occlusion affects on that, and their history of sensitive teeth. The other studies that we found out is that if um, potassium nitrate in the product alone is not effective, then you can take straight potassium nitrate and put it in the bleaching tray in place of the bleaching material. 
10 to 30 minutes is all it takes for the potassium nitrate to kind of numb the tooth. So if the patient has sensitivity in the middle of the day and they're not even bleaching their teeth, they would take their bleaching tray and put potassium nitrate in the tray, wear it for 10 to 30 minutes, and basically the pain will go away. They'll, it'll be self-limiting. They'll feel the, the difference, and as soon as it quits hurting, they take it out. And so basically they've numbed that tooth. And how uh, long would that tooth stay numb for? How long it stays is, is a good question. I, some folks can do this a couple of days and then they won't have any problems and then five days later they'll have it again. And other folks have to do it every single day and some of it's just one time in six weeks. So it really depends on the patient mm -hmm. and their pain threshold level, the other things that are going on, are they a grinder, brooks in their teeth, they eat a lot of citrus fruits, they do things that are very acidic, cola drinks and stuff like that. All those things take the smear layer off the tooth and going to increase the the potential for sensitivity. Coca-Cola, uh, carbonated drinks, white wine, yogurt, all those things have the pH of 2.6, which is like stomach acid. So anything that they're eating can also increase the, the sensitivity. The other thing we found is uh, with this study, so we, we found out putting potassium nitrate in the product is helpful. So, you know, using some product, like your product happens to be Opalescence PF, works very well for sensitivity. We find that using potassium nitrate in the tray, and I use either an over-the-counter toothpaste like uh, Sensodyne or Christie Sensitize or Colgate, any of those guys that have potassium nitrate in them. But the patient may have problems with the uh, ingredients in the toothpaste that are flavorings and have gingival irritation. Mm -hmm. So if they have that, um, you'd like to find a toothpaste that doesn't have SLS in it, which is sodium lauryl sulfate, which is what causes toothpaste to foam. Um, so you'd like to find one of those. There's only one on the market, which happens to be the original Sensodyne, which doesn't taste real good, but it does have potassium nitrate without SLS on it. Uh, so that's a good factor. If, but if that doesn't work or you can't find it, then you go to one of the three products that are made by some of the dental manufacturers companies. Y'all have one that's a 3% Ultra Ease, two other products out there that are 5% potassium nitrate, and that's a fairly pure product. So you don't have the flavorings and things that toothpaste have in there. So the patient can put that in there for 10 to 30 minutes. And then we did, a, we did another study. It turns out, you know, if you brush with a desensitizing toothpaste, it takes about two weeks for it to be efficacious in reducing sensitivity. If you put it in the tray, it takes 10 to 30 minutes. So we did a combination study where if you start off, and if you have a patient that has, has a known history of sensitive teeth, you might want to start off and have them brush for two weeks before they ever start their bleaching and then use a product that has potassium nitrate and fluoride in it and use an additional product in the tray if they need it. I Actually, if I've got my worst-case scenario of sensitivity, I'll start out with two weeks of pre-brushing, we call it, with a potassium nitrate toothpaste. Then I'll have them wear the tray by itself because the tray sometimes causes sensitivity. Uh, and I'll have them sleep in it one night because sometimes biting on the tray will cause some kind of irritation. Then I'll have them put potassium nitrate in the tray because some patients perceive pressure of the ingredient as sensitivity on the tray. Sleep in that for a night, then they can start their bleaching. So that gives them a chance to get used to the, the pre-brush. They get used to wearing the tray. They get used to wearing having something in the tray. And then they go to the bleaching material they can do it during the day if they feel uh, if they're really concerned about sensitivity or go overnight and then use the pure potassium nitrate in the tray as needed for the other. Uh, we found that it doesn't solve everybody's problem, but it sure gets uh, the majority of the patients that you have to deal with. And by that time, the patients got used to all those sensations, and they're less likely to interpret any little change as acute sensitivity. Nothing works for everybody. Uh, then you have to go to some kind of in-office and pre-treat them with non-steroid anti-inflammatories and pace your treatments a week apart and, and do some things like that. Uh, so that's your next level that you would have to, to get to. And then some folks just, you know, they just have such sensitive teeth, we can't get them calmed down enough to bleach them. But that's the, that's the rare exception, the rare not the exception. rule.
There's one question that comes up about carbamide peroxide versus hydrogen peroxide, and you need to understand the ratio that basically 10% carbamide peroxide is 3.5% hydrogen peroxide. So uh, if you've got a 10% solution of hydrogen peroxide, you've got a 30% solution of carbamide peroxide. But the big difference is hydrogen peroxide is only active 30 minutes to an hour. So all the hydrogen peroxide products are meant to be worn 30 minutes to an hour, whether it's Crest White Strips, Day, uh, day White, um, Trace White, all those things are 30 minutes to an hour because they're hydrogen peroxide. Carbamide peroxide releases about 50% of its peroxide in the first two hours and takes another four to six hours to release the other 50%. So it's like a time release capsule. So it releases overnight. So that's why per application, you'll get faster bleaching with carbamide peroxide because it acts longer and the tooth can only change at a certain rate. So once you exceed it with the hydrogen peroxide, you've wasted the rest of that stuff. I tell folks it's kind of like cooking a steak. You know, you can turn the temperature up a little bit, but once you've exceeded a certain point, the inside doesn't get cooked and the outside gets burned. So that's what you're doing with heat and lights and higher concentrations is you've exceeded what's the, the change rate for the tooth to do. And a low concentration of carbamide peroxide that stays there a long time is more efficacious, means per application you get better whitening than you do on the fast ones. But some people won't wear them overnight. Some people won't wear it two or three hours. For that person, they need to do something. They wear it 30 minutes to an hour and just recognize it may take more applications to get to the same outcome as they would with 10% carbamide peroxide. But knowing that formula and that ratio is the only way you can compare products is knowing the differences between carbamide peroxide and hydrogen peroxide and knowing that ratio of basically 3% hydrogen peroxide, 10% carbamide peroxide are equivalent. When or how do you decide to prescribe in-office whitening versus take-home whitening? Well, with in-office bleaching, I'm not a fan of that because it's such a labor-intensive process and it's, and it's um, just not very efficient. We found out that the average number of in-office treatments uh, is going to be three to get maximum lightning. So you've got to decide the indication for in-office bleaching would be the patient won't do the tray stuff or they're on a, a short timeline and they want to try to get it as quick as possible and they don't have a history of sensitive teeth. They've got to need, not be worried about their back teeth because you can't bleach the back teeth well with in-office bleaching because you can't isolate it well enough. So there, there are certain patients who won't wear the tray, can't wear the tray, uh, just don't want to do anything with that. Uh, they're scared to take an alginate impression to make a, a custom tray. They gag easily, a lot of things like that. So th there's a place for in-office um, bleaching. The thing you have to know is that the patient's got to be prepared for not just one treatment. Only 24% of the folks will be successful with one in-office bleaching, and they got to be A2 or lighter. So anybody with any significant discolorations need to plan on two and three visits a week apart, depending on how sensitive their teeth are, uh, or one in-office visit followed by tray and that kind of gives you a little bit of the wow up front, what some of the companies talk about. Uh, but you still have to follow it up with a tray to get the maximum whiteness. Because what we found, it really, regardless of the product, the tooth has got a maximum rate that it can change color. And once you exceed that rate with a higher concentration, it doesn't matter. You're just wasting your time and increasing sensitivity. So once you found the rate the tooth is changing color, that's as fast as it can go, kind of like losing weight, uh, you know, gaining weight. There's a certain rate that your body does that at. Then we've also found out that the tooth has a maximum whiteness to which it will achieve. And after that, it doesn't matter how long you keep bleaching, what concentration you use, you can't get it any whiter. Again, like losing weight or working out would probably be the better thing. There's a maximum muscle mass you can get based on the genetic 
thing you bring to the table. So once you've found the rate that the tooth is going to change color, once you've reached that maximum it, that's the best you can do for that patient. And so the, the question of in-office versus tray has more to do with patient lifestyle, um, the amount of money they have, the time they have, uh, what they're most comfortable doing. Because of all the extended treatment that we've done on tetracycline stained teeth or uh, some of the difficult discolorations, I prefer the tray anytime I can do it. But if they want to do the in-office, there was one study that showed that three in-office visits were was equal two weeks of at-home bleaching in operative dentistry in uh, 2005. And that was a fairly clean study that you'll get equivalent changes in those time frames. Really interesting, the miseducation of patients by the media, how patients believe they can just go into the doctor's office, have bleaching performed in an hour, and they're done. And right. they don't realize they need multiple treatments or they need a com combination of in-office and take-home whitening. Right. And Right. It's up to the dentist to educate. Yeah, and, and they believe the light's going to make all the difference in the world, and, and all the scientific articles on light bleaching show that the light does not make the bleaching happen any faster. What it does is it speeds up a chemical reaction because we know heat and light make chemical reactions go faster. But again, once you exceed the rate that the tooth can change color, the rest of it's superfluous. So it doesn't do anything. Mostly it dehydrates the teeth. So you create the illusion of whitening and you have this strong, immediately after you do the, the light bleaching, the strong white look, but that's dehydration and then it drops down in one to two weeks. So you've either got to come back within a week and do another in office or you got to pick up with a tray. Otherwise, they're only going to have a little bit of whitening the two weeks later. So the, the true test of when you've been successful with bleaching is to wait two weeks afterwards, and that's your color stable. That's also true if you're going to do veneers or composite bonding, is it takes two weeks for the teeth to turn back to their normal, to, the, to their color, and it takes two weeks for the uh, bond strengths to return. If you bleach and then immediately bond, you have a 25% reduction in bond strengths of etched composite, whether it's veneers or composite, to the bleached enamel with any type. So basically, you got to bleach your teeth, and then wait two weeks, and that's the color that you've gotten, and that's the best bond strength you're going to get. Hmm. Yeah, and that's important, too. I was reading an article by another doctor just this morning where he said that it wasn't a big deal if you bond immediately, but everything else that I have ever read shows that if the peroxide is inside the tooth, then you have oxygen inhibition with your adhesive agents and your composites and everything. Right. And, and the question is always what's clinically significant. You know, the, the, the studies that show a 25% reduction in bond strength, and the question is would that make a difference clinically? But when you're doing bonding, uh, to me, the color is the more appropriate thing. They show that the higher the concentration, the greater what we call rebound that you have. The teeth bleach and bleach and bleach, and then they reach a maximum whiteness. Then when they stop, they come down, and it's that oxygen that's in the tooth that changes the optical qualities of the tooth. The, the higher the concentration, the more oxygen in there, the greater the relapse that you have. So picking a shade is a nightmare right after they've gotten them bleaching. So you got to wait two weeks not only for bond strength, but also for shade. Right. Great. Was there anything else you'd like to add for our listeners? Well, uh, you know, after years of doing all this stuff, I, I still believe 10% carbamide peroxide and a custom-fitted tray after a proper examination is the safest, uh, most cost-effective, most efficacious way to whiten teeth. Uh, there are other methods that work from over-the-counter to in-office, but they all have some drawback either in cost or in safety or in efficacy. Uh, but it, it a lot depends on the lifestyle of the patient. It depends on what they bring to the table in terms of sensitive teeth and in terms of discoloration. Uh, probably the biggest thing 
thing people have a hard time believing is that tetracycline teeth can be bleached. And, you know, we published that first study actually using opalescence, showing that uh, it takes three to six months to bleach tetracycline stained teeth. But it's a very conservative treatment uh, for them, and if it doesn't work, you can always do the veneers and they'll be lighter. But uh, these people are some of the most appreciative people I've ever uh, treated because they're just, it makes a radical change. But again, it, it takes a, it's a slow process. Tetracycline is bound up in the dentin, so you've got to understand that we're changing the color of dentin, getting inside the tooth, like we talked about when we first started, uh, and it's slow doing that. So it, it basically, it's three to four months is the average. I've bleached them as long as six to 12 months. 12 is my outside, uh, and one month is the, about the quickest I've seen one turn. And people will say, well, how do you get somebody to do that? for six months. And then the answer is you say it takes six months to solve your problem. And so it's like a weight loss program, an exercise program. They just start bleaching. We actually have a way that's uh, I published, I keep on my website, where we have a pay-as-you-go. About one bleaching kit will do about uh, four weeks of bleaching of one arch. And so we get them started on one arch. We always do one arch, one arch at a time because there's less sensitivity that way because it involves less teeth. The smaller teeth are the most sensitive. Uh, and the patient can compare what's happening with the untreated lower arch and see what it's going to do. So we do one arch at a time. One kit on one arch will go about four weeks. They keep up with how much stuff they use. And then we buy refill kits. And they just basically pay as they go. And they just keep paying until either the teeth quit changing color uh, or they got tired of doing it or they've reached their maximum lightness and they're happy with it. And then you wait a little bit, and they um, they uh, back down at half a shade, just like they do with regular teeth. And then they stay that way for years and years. We've got seven and a half year recalls, and 86% of the folks still color stable. So it's a very good process, very uh, effective. Yeah, that reminds me, by the way, you don't have to do touch up on these cases. That it just depends on whether the patient relapses. I mean, we've got some people on the normal teeth at 10 years, 43% of them still color stable. So touch up is a matter of does the patient need it. Some people it happens as quick as one to three years, others at seven to ten. So basically it needs to be monitored by the dental office. The, they need to evaluate what's the cause of discoloration. Uh, I, I recommend taking radiographs now because we found so many non-vital teeth that you could bleach them white, but it didn't get rid of the pathology. So they'd still have an abscess in the tooth. They'd lose the tooth eventually because of the effects of the abscess on the root end and not being able to successfully do endo. So we, we always take a radiograph. We always take single dark teeth, especially take a... Uh, a radiograph of those. The time frames could be anywhere from two to six weeks for natural teeth. It could be anywhere from one to three months for, for nicotine. Nicotine stains are very tenacious. They get on the outside of the tooth and then they soak in. And then tetracycline, anywhere from one to 12 months with an average of three to four. Uh, and tetracycline can also be um, stained adult teeth. There are eight case reports in the literature of tetracycline taken by adults and it stains the teeth in the secondary dentin uh, and it also stains the bone. And so uh, minocycline is the number one treatment for acne in the United States or in the world, and it's the safest drug, but it'll turn your teeth gray over time. So you have a lot of adults taking minocycline, which is another thing to have on your health history, and they've just got to plan on possibly lightening their teeth later. So again, that's why I like the tray bleaching. I've got a tray. If it discolors, they can treat it again. If they use it uh, for sensitivity, they got to have the tray. Even if you're doing in-office, you've got to have a tray to apply the potassium nitrate. Uh, and if they need it for touch-up, I've got it. If they want to bleach your second molars, this is going to 
reach the second molars, which you can't do otherwise. And then we actually use the potassium nitrate stuff for hygiene patients who are not bleaching their teeth. If they had periodontal surgery and they got roots exposed, then it can be kind of sensitive to have a prophy. So we'll actually put them on, uh, make a bleaching tray, put potassium nitrate in it, let them wear it to the office 30 minutes there. That'll get them numb, have their teeth cleaned, then put the tray back in there with potassium nitrate when they go home. And it makes the, the prophylaxis a whole lot more comfortable for a post-periodontal patient. Sure. Great. Well, a lot of great tips from you today, Dr. Haywood. I'm sure our audience is very appreciative. We're happy to have had you here. And well, we hope you have a lot of success tomorrow at your lecture. Well, thanks very much. And I've, I've got a website where I keep a lot of these articles, any of the ones that are in throwaway journals. I, I don't write them unless they give me the uh, opportunity to put it on the website or link to their website. So if somebody goes to www.vanhaywood.com, they're going to find the articles and some of the pictures and some of these references that we've cited here today. And if their patients are not sure, then they can go there as well and get some uh, different opinion from what the local dentist has given them about what works and what doesn't work. That's so a great resource. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for an upcoming podcast, please send an email to ultradentnews at ultradent.com. You may also leave us a voicemail at 1-800-268-9010. Be sure to check out our full archive of past podcasts by visiting podcast.ultradent.com. <laughs>